0: Welcome to Hollywood and Levine. I am Ken Levine, your podcast host. This week, part two, my interview with Jim Burroughs, who is really the Babe Ruth and, I guess you'd say, the Cal Ripken of TV comedy directors. He has directed over 1,000 episodes of various sitcoms, including 240 episodes of Cheers, All of Will and Grace, 76 episodes of Taxi. Recently, he directed the live All in the Family, Jefferson's reboot. He was one of the co-creators and showrunners of Cheers, along with Glenn and Les Charles. And in terms of awards... nominated for an emmy every year between 1980 and 2005 except 1997 i don't know what happened that year he has won 10 emmys he has also won four dga awards and he is a tremendous tremendous director he is also a okay he's my mentor if you missed part one after you listen to this go back And listen to part one. This week we get into more of the technical aspects of directing. And I also delve into that live All in the Family Jefferson's reboot. And then we start talking about directing pilots and Pilots is a whole different animal with a lot of different requirements, and we'll talk about that. Also, some great stories about friends, and we'll get into directing plays and what's going on on Broadway. So, a lot going on. Part two, my interview with Jim Burroughs right here on Hollywood and Levine. So let's talk a little bit about... Uh, about the cameras. One thing uh, about you, I, I learned everything from you except camera blocking because you go so fucking fast. <laughs> Your camera block. I mean, how you keep all of that, in, and, and I, I only wish that the listeners could watch you do this. Because camera blocking will usually take a number of hours and you're just going, all right, Vonnie up the line mm-hmm. and uh, Bill, you pick up Shelley, and then uh, you come around and give me a two and you single out Norm. And, and it's like, what the hell is happening? And then it all falls into place. I, is this just over time? Um, I mean, you obviously don't prepare. You just like walk in and, and do it. But you have complicated scenes you know, wedding scenes and things, you know, and you just, it's, it's like, to me, an amazing magic trick that you do.
1: Uh, I, I have a gift. I remember, I, uh, I, I remember blocking, you know, so I, I, you know, when I'm, when I'm, uh, you know, I just did, um, I, I just did a live special.
0: So want to ask you yeah, about yeah? Okay. But yeah. so
1: the cameras in there, you have to lay out the shots, and I, you know, you have to write them down like I had to do in the old days. But I could remember; I didn't have to look at a tape. To, I didn't have to look at a iPhone that was recording to run through. I knew what the blocking was, so I have that gift. But in the first two years, I camera blocked. I would take my script home the night before camera blocking, and I would write down A, B, C cameras on each line. Yeah, that's what I did. Yeah, so, (laughs) and then what happened was, as, as, as I would take my script in and do it, you know, on page three or page four, my system that I had written down wouldn't work, so I had to improvise.
0: Right, because once you decide to go with camera B instead of camera C for this single, it throws off the entire rest of your your pattern.
1: So I yeah. had to start making it up. And right. that's So I got that. And then uh, there's al- there was always, when I started out, there was always, you had to get the cameras right on the camera day because, it, for some reason, I don't know why that was and then you know you on camera day you run the cameras twice and then you have the next day before you shoot you have 3 or 4 hours with the cameras to perfect them so i never felt that i had to get it right that i you know i could just uh i could just um kind of block it out faintly and stuff like that and uh i could have time to perfect plus if you spend too long in camera blocking your actors get bored and you you <laughs> right. suck the energy out of the you suck the energy out of the show. So eventually, like in year three or four, I never uh uh blocked my script anymore.
0: Okay, let me put you on the spot. Even today you watch the uh rough cut and and go, Damn, I should have gotten a two shot there. Why damn, why didn't I get that shot?
1: Does that ever happen to you? No. No. <laughs> no. No. <laughs> no. I got it in my head the way it should be cut. And that's what I give you.
0: Uh-huh. And so you pretty much edit in your head. Yeah. You they, could walk in and assemble I, an episode. Yourself. I shoot it to be yeah.
1: edited the way I want. And then, as as you know, uh, like Will and Grace runs eight, seven, eight minutes long. Right. So uh, the the final editing I leave to the boys, Max and David, because... It's about what you want to cut out of the show.
0: Right. But when you're blocking, you have to prepare for that and have singles and yes. and ways so that they can lift a whole section. If if you're in a big master you you can't do that, or if somebody jumps across the screen, you can't lift out a, a no. section. So you have to plan for that. I
1: have to yeah, well uh there, there are much more sophisticated ways now to make cameras work. I mean, uh, what they can do in the editing room with these machines. Uh huh. You know, they can Zeus a show. You know what that means? No. They can take a show and run it a hair faster.
0: Right. Oh, okay. So yeah,
1: you know, people don't sound like Mickey and Minnie. Right. Just below that.
0: Right. So <laughs> so that sound so, like me.
1: Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so the show can you can have more time because. Right now, we're 20 and a half minutes. When we were doing Cheers, it was 26 minutes. Right. So you don't have as much luxury in telling a story now like you used to have. So they can Zeus it, they call it, or they can uh, blow up shots in the editing room, or, uh, or they can uh, blow down shots in the editing room. No, they can't blow down. They can only blow them up. And, uh, so-, so you can
0: make that two
1: shot that you, you can didn't no, no because unless that camera unless i shot that person you can't do that right you can't make a two shot right you can blow it up but if you
0: have if you have a three shot
1: and you, you want to turn shot, it
0: into a two shot that, that that you yeah. can do okay <laughs> one of the things you used to do on the stage i mean now again it's it's different it's hd but there's to be these these big camera mounts there were like three guys on on a camera and during the show you'd like
1: walk over and kick the cameras over (laughs) what was that all about it's just you know it's just better angles and sometimes see i knew a lot of times where the camera should be because i have that memory of where the blocking is i know where the shot is going to be needed right so i would I would try to improve the shot of a camera if I could. And, you know, sometimes, you know, sometimes I uh, I literally, I remember one Cheers the Dolly Grip got a little sick and I pushed the camera for a scene. Huh? I I did because I knew, you know, where it was going and what what was happening. It's just that instinct I have. But it's just making the shot better. Okay. And uh, uh, because it'll look better on TV.
0: So, um... I want to get back to the live show that you did <laughs> recently, the All in the Family Jeffersons. Live, doing two shows. You also had cameras shooting Norman Lear and, and the audience. And how many cameras did you have? And oh God, what was, what was that like? Like shooting the
1: Super Bowl? <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, I, I'm not a, uh, a live guy. You know our shows are shot and then edited, but they wanted to do this live and i said uh, I said to Jimmy Kimmel, who called me i said i 'm happy to do the sitcoms, but i don 't know anything about those other shots uh-huh. of Norman and Jimmy and right Jennifer Hudson and uh, Woody and uh, Marissa at the piano i can you you know so Jimmy uh, used Andy Fisher, who directs his show okay. to do the interstitials
0: uh-huh.
1: uh, because i it 's enough to try to switch uh, live to, to well, sitcoms that are, that are 25 minutes long each. Right. Were you calling shots yes, during the show? Yeah, sure. Uh-huh. Sure. I, I, I spent a lot of time. I had a great AD named Marty Pizzetta, who's uh, has, you know, I wanted an AD who was familiar with comedy. Right. So, uh, and he was a big help and uh, we spent i spent a lot of time on cameras i spent a lot of time blocking the cameras and rehearsing we did 3 monday tuesday and wednesday wednesday in front of the america but monday and tuesday in front of a live audience uh-huh just to get me used to it just to get the actors used to it and uh you know it it turned out pretty good i it turned I, out great i saw it the i saw it, yeah. the, uh, I saw it uh, a couple of days after i shot it and there were a couple of camera moves that we you know were just late and there's one cut that was late but other than that we you know it, it's a it was pressure it's just i because i did two live will and graces too and it's 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 you feel a lot of pressure
0: well with the all in the family thing too you also had to wrangle a lot of actors yeah,
1: <laughs> yeah. so
0: you know and i'm sure there were some of the actors that you had never worked with before that's true yeah
1: i uh but i have to say everybody was glorious everybody was wonderful everybody was friendly everybody knew what this was all about everybody was supportive of one another Uh, everybody was cheering the all in family cast watched the jeffersons the jeffersons cast watched all the families cast there were no there were no egos that's great there were no egos there I, i uh, just before we have a read through, a speed through, always before we shoot a show, and I had speed through with both shows, and I said to them, I said, "Please enjoy yourself, because this is never going to happen again. Uh-huh. This moment will never happen again." And uh, it was just, it was just thrilling. It was just, and to work with Norman, and uh, uh, and to be able to do these two iconic shows, which. Uh, i never thought yeah and you'd never directed those no i had never done those either one of them no
0: you've directed a lot of pilots let's talk for a minute about pilots and the unique situations because you have to establish the characters establish the tone you're dealing with actors who are trying to find their characters um Talk a little bit about the uh, the special requirements that go into doing a pilot
1: uh, you know pilots are uh are like a uh, uh, they're like um, i I don't, I don't know the right word for it' It's this ephemeral thing that you read a script that the writers have written and you like the script and then you're going to make a pilot episode. And then you got to be lucky enough to cast it, right? So that's another ephemeral thing that you don't know will work. And then you have to be put in the right, right time slot, another ephemeral thing that you don't... Right. So there's all this amorphous things going on, <laughs> and you it, it requires a lot of luck. And I always use this example of um, one year I did... Um, I was signed to do four pilots in 94. And then my agent, uh, Bob Broder, sent me a script. It was called Six of One. And it would later change its title to Friends.
0: Uh-huh. Heard and of that. I,
1: yeah. And <laughs> I, said to, I said to Broder, I said, I have to do this show. He says, you have no time. I said, you got to make time. So we made time. And it was the last pilot I did. And those six people were available.
0: Yeah, if those so, six people are not available, if one is assigned to another show or one is in Morocco doing a
1: movie, yeah, it's it's crazy. So there there's that luck involved. So you have that. Then you have to get, you have to start rehearsing, and you have to, you know, I try. I spend eight days on a pilot and only five days on a when I'm doing a, a regular uh, show, and we sit we sit around and we talk. I remember sitting around the bar chairs with all the characters. Where are you from? What are you doing? What does a bar mean to you? You know, all this stuff, not necessarily really profound, right. but just to make you feel comfortable with me, comfortable in the set, comfortable with the other actors. And then you, you know, you try to fit all these people into a car. You know, and the car sometimes small, sometimes big and you want everybody to be seated comfortably in the car and you want the car to run and so you have to you know, take the different styles. I mean I think the most diverse show pilot I ever did is Taxi because the cast was not necessarily all from the same world You had a couple of Broadway people like or Judd and Danny and Mary Lou and then you had Tony who was a boxer Right, and you had Andy Kaufman who was a comedian mm-hmm. and uh, you had Conaway who'd worked a little bit on Broadway and you know you had to mold these people into this homogeneous group that again as I said it before you try to make them like one <clears> another <throat> because if they like one another they're going to that's going to come across the screen. And I think, you know, in and taxi and cheers, it was more difficult for me because I didn't have a reputation then. Right. Now, when I start, when I do a pilot, people uh, will listen to me and... Uh, you don't know, understand from my experience. Well, you bring your
0: 32 Emmys with you, right? <laughs> <laughs> you just set them down on the podium and just say, okay, so what are your network notes?
1: Yeah. Is it I don't tr- bring the Emmys. I have picture, <laughs> pictures on the iPhone. Right?
0: <laughs> is, is it true? The story I always heard was that after an early run-through on Friends, the network said, well, there should be an authority figure. We should make one of them a star. And you were the one that said, no, it should be an ensemble with all six.
1: And it is a, a true ensemble. It is. I, I don't remember that story. I do remember it. You know, we thought of in the beginning that it was almost Monica's kids because it was Monica's apartment and they were all friends of Monica. And she was, <clears throat> but Marta and David, to their credit, they were genius writers. They wrote three stories an episode. Right. So it was not necessarily an A story as such. Right. <laughs> and so you, all six of them were equally talented. So there was not... I just think it became that kind of show by default because they were, you know, all... You could write an A story about them, about any one of them. I, you know, I, I, I... You know, when I... My job is... When I do a pilot now, as opposed to, you know, the taxi pilot or the Cheers pilot now in the 90s, when I started in the uh, after Cheers went off the air, it's my job to protect the writer's vision. Mm-hmm. That's what I try to do. So when I pick a script to direct, I like the vision the writers have. And it's my job to shepherd that vision through all the processes, including the network. Who the network, then will try to homogenize the vision.
0: Yes, they will.
1: And so it's my job to say no. You can't do that. No more exemplary uh, uh, example than uh, than Will and Grace. You know who. You know they were they were concerned with the gayness of the show, and I said, "Well, that is the show. that
0: is the show." Yeah. So and uh, now they take credit for how groundbreaking <laughs> it is.
1: <laughs> but uh, you know that so that on Friends, that was my you know there was. In the opening episode, um, Ma- Monica's story is she uh, she goes to bed with a guy named Paul, the wine guy. Mm-hmm. And Paul, the wine guy, uh, uh, in the second act, she goes to work. She's a chef. She goes to work with her sous chef who tells uh, her that she also slept with Paul, the wine guy. So Monica's just devastated, right? Because Paul the wine guy said, uh, "I, I want to sleep with you, Monica," because nobody's been able to. Uh, to ma- I've been impotent,
0: mm-hmm.
1: so so the, I, the network came and said, uh, "We have a problem with that." Can she just kiss Paul, the wine guy? <laughs> <laughs> And I said, you know, I said, you know, because I was the 800-pound gorilla on that show, I said, right. no, you can't do that. Right. There's no stakes if that happens. Right. And so, I mean, that's... That's my life now, an 800-pound gorilla.
0: (laughs) Millennials have discovered Friends. I think Friends is more popular now than when it was originally on the air. Why do you think Friends strikes a chord in so many young people? What is it about that show that makes it so special?
1: It's funny. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: And there are characters you can relate to. And there's genius writing, genius writing. Can't believe it took nine years for that show to win an Emmy as best show. Mm-hmm. Because the writing was genius on that show. And the actors, the actors who <clears throat> are incredibly uh, adept. And you know, I, when I would rehearse that show, I only did like 13 or 14 of them in the early years. They're so gifted and so smart and so um, creative that you can just sit back and let them do it themselves. Mm. And so, and they're endearing, and they're pretty, and they're funny, and the the kids love them. You know, it'll uh, that show will go. That show will go on forever. Oh,
0: I think it will. It's yeah. Just, it yeah. It's going to be like Lucy. Yeah,
1: yeah. It strikes a chord amongst young people. And uh, it's not that dirty, so you can start watching it when you're nine or ten. And uh, it's just amazing. And Will and Grace, what was it like
0: going back and doing the reboot after all of those years between <laughs> the final Will and Grace and now coming back? Is sense of déjà vu, I guess.
1: It was. It was amazing. The. the- the the kids I still don't call them kids, the four of them they hadn't changed that much so that was easy. <clears throat> they you know we put glasses on them we told older stories. Uh, it's still maybe the funniest show I've ever done.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: <clears throat> it's outrageous you know I mean it's a different kind of humor than Cheers or, or Friends. It's more you know I call it a fairy tale literatively and figuratively, and they. You know, you could do, you'd do jokes on that show you couldn't do on any other show. And it was just seamless going back and doing it again. Uh, everybody was on board. Everybody thought it would never happen, and all of a sudden it happened, and what an opportunity. And I like to say you can go homo again. Yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> okay, so um, you've also directed some plays. Speaking of going home again... Do you ever from the back of your mind think, mm,
1: maybe I'll wanna go full circle and direct something on Broadway? No, I don't I don't think I wanna do anything on Broadway. I the last play I did I did uh, The Man Who Came to Dinner at the Steppenwolf Theater with John Mahoney. Uh huh. And um I, I love doing that. I, I just I had a ball. Uh you know, it's uh it's a Kaufman and Hart script. Right. I knew George. But George Kaufman wow. the, he was, uh, he directed Guys and Dolls. hmm And, uh, so I knew him to be, you know, he was intimidating sort. He was tall and he was curmudgeonly. Right. Uh, but my dad loved him. And, uh, so, uh, I, I you know, I, to, to do one of his plays was, uh, was a gas. I, you know, I, I put my interpretation on some, some parts of it and, uh, it was successful and Mahoney was great and, uh. Uh, uh, working at Steppenwolf was wonderful, but I, I don't think I'd ever want to go back to Broadway. Broadway's changed now so much. Mm. Uh, you know, it's it's all about uh, pyrotechnics and stuff like that. Right. The simple plays don't don't come around yeah. anymore.
0: Yeah. Final question: You've been doing this for so many years, and yet you seem to have such enthusiasm. And it's a physical job; you're on your feet all day, every day. I mean, it is a physical job. What is it about directing that you still find so fulfilling, why you're still so passionate about it?
1: Um, uh, for every show I do, there's an opening night. There's a night we shoot the show in front of the audience. And it's exhilarating. I have We're doing 18 more Will and Graces this year, and I have 18 more opening nights, and to hear an audience laugh at something you have a hand in really gets the endorphins going. And I, you know, I wouldn't do a show if it was drudgery for me or if I wasn't having fun. I have to have fun. Sure. So and so, uh, I I have fun on the show. It's a, it's a wonderful show. Max and David write a wonderful show. The acting is great, and the stories are different. And, uh, I, you know, I, I, I don't want to retire. I don't know uh, how many more years we have left on Will and Grace, but um, I don't know what I'll do after. Uh, <clears throat> but if something is makes me smile, then maybe I'll do that.
0: Great. Well, again... Personally, thank you so much for all you've done for me, how much I have learned from you. And this was really a treat having you sit down and talk.
1: I loved it, Ken. Thank you. Thank you.
0: Wow. Again, our thanks to Jim Burroughs for being my guest. And like I said before, if you have not listened to part one, go back right now and listen to last week's show. Uh, wow. A lot of great stuff. Okay, thanks to Adam and Susie Meister, Butler, Howard Hoffman, John Wolford, Bruce, and Jason Miller. You can follow me on Twitter at Ken Levine. I'm also on Instagram, Hollywood and Levine. And you can email me anytime, hollywoodlevine at outlook.com. HollywoodLevine at Outlook.com. If you have not subscribed, what is wrong with you? Come on, subscribe to the podcast. Also, I know I'm being shameless again, but I could use a five-star review. Back again with more next week. Thanks so much for listening. Bye-bye. Hollywood and Levine.